Today we're going to continue our journey that we've been on as we read through the letter of Thessalonians. And this has been a great journey, a great uh, opportunity to really study about Paul and about how he communicates with people. And I want to, what I want to do is I want to walk you through of where we're at and how we got to this point, because I think that's going to be important uh, for us to understand. And, and I always think that when, when you're reading Scripture, and I, I know for myself, when I read Scripture and I start understanding the bigger picture and I start understanding the story, all of a sudden I'm engaged. Have you ever watched a movie and you, you, I know my kids, we've gotten to the movie, it's about five minutes into the movie, and they tell me, man, this movie is boring. I said, you don't even know what's happening yet. Just sit, give it some time, let it soak in, and, and try to understand what's actually happening. And, and that's what we're going to do uh, today. We're going to try to understand it. I gave a sneak peek. When I did the introduction, I gave a sneak peek. I gave a historical uh, um, uh, teaching, education, uh, of how we got to the book of, of First Thessalonians. And I want to just do, I mean, a very quick review of that. Uh, remember, this is the second journey of Paul. And, and he was, the Lord led him to Macedonia, skipping over Asia, going to Macedonia. And, and then uh, along the way, Timothy joined the group with Silas and Paul. And they were going and preaching, and they stopped in uh, Philippi. And what happened in Philippi? Well, they, they got arrested. They got beat and arrested. Finally, uh, they found out that they were Romans, and they're like, oh, boy, we're sorry about that. They went on their way, headed, headed west to Thessalonica. And, and when they went to Thessalonica, they started preaching the word. And from what we could understand, they did three consecutive weeks where they went to the synagogue uh, at the Sabbath day, and they preached the gospel. And people were giving their lives to Christ. They, they were converting to, uh, to become Christians because the gospel was preached. But there was a group of Jews that became enraged. And, and they didn't like that they were taking them away from where, all the practices that they were doing. And, and so the Jewish people riled up some other people and they said, hey, they're trying to take the place of Caesar. And you guys have no king but him. And they're trying to say Jesus Christ is the king. And so in the middle of the night, we believe an agreement was made. And they, they took Paul and his team out of Thessalonica. And they rushed him out in the middle of the night. They, they, there was no preparations. They just got out of there. And I, I thought about that, and I thought, when I was a kid, at about 6, 5.30 or 6 in the morning, one time, there was a fire at our house, at our farmhouse. And what happened, we found out later on, the, the furnace had, uh, we'll call it, blew up, and just black smoke everywhere in the house. You could barely see. And we had bedrooms upstairs, and we had bedrooms downstairs at this old farmhouse, but we had no time. We got out of there immediately. I was still in my underwear. And I remember the school bus came and was honking the horn for us to come there. And there's all these fire trucks there. I'm not sure why the school bus waited there. But that was in the, in the middle of the night, we'll call it. Just out of the blue, 
whisked away. And so there was no time to think about all the other things. And so now they go down to Berea. If you remember our map, they headed slightly west down south to Berea. And the Bereans, they wanted to study the word and they wanted to understand the word more and more. And, and they had great success there in converting people. But the group that was causing havoc up in Thessalonica, well, they followed them. They went down to Berea, and then they started causing more havoc there. How annoying is that? And, and, and so Paul, he got his team together, and he said, man, we got to figure out what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Man, I want to know what's happening in, in Thessalonica. What are those Thessalonians doing? Timothy, you need to go up to Thessalonica. Go find out. Go, go help them out. And, I, and I'll tell you what, Silas, you, go, you stay in Berea here, and I'm going to go down to Athens. And eventually, bring back word. Tell me all about it. And so they went there, and, and they told them all about it. They told them all about what things were happening. They, they, he, they eventually, they're in Corinth. And, and as they're in, in Corinth, they, they get there, and, and Paul is just excited. Paul's excited about everything that was told to him about the Thessalonians and, and how they were loving Jesus Christ and how they were taking on all kinds of persecution, and yet they kept going, and they kept dealing with it. And this is where we're at in the scripture now. Paul, Paul now, he wants to explain uh, why he loves the things that he's heard, and he wants to explain why he sent one of God's ambassadors to him. And that's where we're going to join Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. So if you're able to, you can join me in standing as I read 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. Paul said, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer... We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith, in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, just as you know. Verse 5. For this reason... When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Heavenly Father, guide our thoughts, guide my words. We just want you, Holy Spirit, to take control of this time. Teach us. Teach us the only way that we could truly be taught. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to look at the fact that if you are called to follow Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, you are actually on a mission from God. You're on a mission from God. God has, has sent you forward to, to serve his needs, to serve his kingdom, uh, to do his desires. And you 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're an ambassador. You're an ambassador. And, and as Christ's ambassadors, God, he's sending you. And he's sending me. And he's sending all of us to serve other people. He's, he's calling us and he's sending us to serve other people. He doesn't want us just to be given this great gift of salvation. We've been given a beautiful gift of salvation and then sit in the corner and, and, and just hide and just wait for his return. That's not, what, that's not what Jesus Christ has called us to do. He created us to be people of action, serving them as ambassadors. So what does this service involved? involve? First, it involves us encouraging the world with the gospel. It involves us encouraging the world. When Saul gave his life to Jesus Christ, everything in his life changed. His name changed to Paul. And his whole mission of his whole life went from being a discourager to being an encourager, especially in the gospel. And that's what the focus of his ministry became. He wanted to be an encouragement to the Thessalonians. He, he did it through letter, but more so, he did it by sending Timothy. And that was a bold thing, because Timothy, he, has, he had been a huge help for Paul in his teachings in, in the places before Philippi, in Philippi, in, Thessal, in Thessalonica, in Berea. Timothy had been a, a, a tremendous companion with him. And, and he, he needed him. He wanted him by his side. And yet, he sent him. Because Paul, he thought about the needs and the desires of the church more than his own desires. The word encouragement here, we were talking about this during our prayer time uh, before the service. I don't, I don't much throw out Greek words. I'm not a Greek uh, scholar. But the word encouragement is really the word parakaleo. And it means giving help or aid. Giving help or aid. One commentator said, the English word encourage means with heart. To encourage, in a sense, is to give them new heart. Shallow sympathy, this was cool, shallow sympathy makes people feel worse. You're just giving them some sympathy, it actually makes them feel worse. But true spiritual encouragement, it makes them feel better. It brings out the best in people. In the usage of parakaleo, the idea is to urge the Thessalonian saints to persevere and to pursue a course of conduct specifically regarding their faith. So Timothy came alongside in order to encourage them to live according to sound doctrine, which alone would assure that they stay firm and press on ahead of their faith. You know, Sherry and, and Maddie, my wife and, and daughter, and my mother-in-law, Sue, they're heading to Ethiopia how many days? Two weeks? It's not long. I think two weeks from Tuesday. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> One week from Tuesday. Time flies. And, and, and their, whole, their whole job, their whole goal, their whole focus is to be an encourager to those that we've already brought the gospel to. To be an encourager to those that we've already 
built those relationships with and, and loving. And, and we've been doing that over Facebook, but it's a completely different story doing it face-to-face, in person, and we're thankful for that. I thought about this. Who do you need to be an encourager to? Who, who, who do you need uh, to call or, or to go to their home or to write them a letter and send them a card? Something about a handwritten letter that, that is pretty effective. Who's someone that you truly need to come alongside and, and encourage them in the gospel? So sometimes we ask these questions as rhetorical, requiring no response. I thought today we'd take 10 seconds, just simple 10 seconds. And I'd allow you to write down a name of who this week you can truly encourage. And that would be a challenge of mine. So we're going to take 10 seconds. 10 seconds, write down a name of who you can encourage in the gospel today, this week. Jacob back there telling me 10 seconds is up. It's a good sound booth guy. Well, before we go on, I think it's important that we understand who Timothy is. Uh, we understand that some of you guys, you, when you get into scripture, when you dig in, you want to know who the characters are. You know, it's like reading a book. You want to understand the character, the background of where they got there. Or if you're watching a movie, well, how in the world did this person get involved with that person? Timothy, uh, Paul used Timothy in many different ways. We see throughout scripture that Timothy was sent several locations to minister to groups of people, which is great to see. Uh, in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4.17, it says, That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Corinthians 16, 10 through 11. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with his brothers. Timothy was an ambassador. We send out ambassadors for the United States, and we send them out, and we want them to go conduct the business of the United States. They are loyal to the United States, they are faithful to the United States, and that's their job. And Timothy, his job as an ambassador was to be loyal and faithful, not to Paul, but to Jesus Christ. And he went to Ephesus. He was sent ahead and left at Ephesus. Uh, and, and here he sent to the Thessalonians. Timothy was definitely someone who was a champion of the gospel. He was a champion of the gospel, and, and he was carrying... Uh, his strong message to multiple cities. And scripture tends to let us believe that Thessalonica just happened to be the first city that Paul sent him to by himself. We can also deduct that Timothy was a quality ambassador. And that's crucial to understand that, that he wasn't just uh, somebody he could kind of trust, 
He had full trust in, in him. That, that Paul says, brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. This clearly in, indicates that Paul believes that he was, he was equal to him. That he was an equal servant of Jesus Christ. That he was capable of preaching the word. Capable of overcoming obstacles. I thought about that for us. You know, when, when you're a pastor, that's the expectation. That you could bring forth the word. That you can talk to people about Jesus Christ. That, that you're not shy about sharing your faith. But I want to tell you, when you're an ambassador, you had that same call. You can't be shy about bringing forth the word. You can't be shy about sharing your faith from the rooftops. You may not come up and preach at a pulpit. You may not go out and, and hold uh, tent meetings and preach the gospel there. But you can't be shy about it. When you're an ambassador, you got to be for one main cause. In this case, it's Jesus Christ. And just like Paul sent Timothy, God is sending us, all of us, to establish the faith of others. He's calling us to establish the faith of others. The word established can, can also mean to strengthen, to confirm, to determine. And that's exactly what Timothy was doing. Timothy, Timothy was, what, was strengthening the Thessalonians' faith. That was his job. He was helping them to confirm it and, and determine it. James 5.8, what does it say? It says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 1 Peter 5.10 says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to, to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Crucial things to remember. When you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.12 says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. As for you, it's one of your obligations. It's one of your obligations as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's the mission. That's our mission as people who serve Jesus Christ. It is to help people understand, especially new believers. And we want to strengthen them. And we want to serve them. And how are you doing this? I literally, as I, as I was writing the message, I thought about individual faces that I'd see in the, in the congregation. How are you doing this? Timothy... He went city to city, and they said Timothy would be a soft-spoken, very similar to me, soft-spoken, quiet, somewhat shy person. Am I painting a picture of me? But if Timothy can bring forth the gospel and be powerful and be mighty with his words because of his love for Jesus Christ... What about you? Are you seeking people out who you can share the gospel with or you, who you can encourage with the gospel? 
Paul serves as a great example to Timothy. Now, Timothy serves as a great example for us of how we bring forth the gospel. God is also sending us to exhort others. We don't use that word a lot. To exhort others to grow in Christ. To exhort someone means to call near or to comfort. In fact, the, the word exhort here is used in some other parts of Scripture, while the word comfort is used in other parts, both using the exact same word. They're comfort and exhort. Philippians 2.1 says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort, there's the word, same thing as exhort later on, from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. You see, Paul sent t the ambassador Timothy to Thessalonica to exhort the believers to grow in Christ. He didn't want them to stay stagnant. He definitely didn't want them to go backwards. That, that was crucial. I heard one person say that, that this word actually means, it, actually, it doesn't mean to, um, to snuggle up with or to hug and say, it's okay, you could do it, keep on going. He, he, he did the picture. He said the word actually means a, a, a general in an army with a, with a sword walking behind his soldiers, and he would prod them in the back as the enemy was coming to keep them moving forward and to keep pushing them forward until they did that. And, and I, I think I, that word picture helped me think about my own family, my own kids, you know, an eagle, you guys have heard that story, how an eagle gets her uh, birds out of the nest. They, they start taking out pieces of the nest until finally it's so uncomfortable for the baby birds to be in that nest because of, of the hard branches that are in there that they just kind of jump out. And what do they do when they jump out? They fly. And, and, and as parents, that's what we do. We, we prod our kids. We move them forward. We, we let them understand that some situations are going to get uncomfortable. And yet, we keep encouraging them and say, stay strong. And that's, what, that's one of my jobs as a pastor here is to, come on, you can do it. Go out there. Come on, Nathan. Go out there and, and share, share the word with somebody. Come on, Allie. Go out there and you can, you can lead in that event. We want, to, we want to challenge people and move them forward. And we want to exhort them uh, so, they, so others can grow in Christ. Because we're ambassadors. And we don't shy away from them because we have one common goal. is to serve our king. God's also reminding us about our walk. He's reminding us about our walk. He reminds us that we must remain steadfast in our footing. Verse 3a says that no one be moved by these afflictions. It's interesting that Paul specifically says the phrase, no one. No one. He, does, he, he really wants to make sure his readers don't have an excuse. Because we like making excuses. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too busy. I don't know anyone. 
I'm too shy. No one. No one could be excluded from this. He's talking to all believers. No one be moved by these afflictions. Translation, Paul's telling the Thessalonians, no matter what comes your way, don't be shaken. Don't be unsettled in what you already know to be true. Don't be deceived. Paul's recognizing that believers, they were literally being mentally uh, uh, tormented, mentally disturbed, I saw one commentator say, over and over by naysayers that eventually some of them would just give in. Even if they believed it, even if they were trusted in Jesus Christ, they'd just say, okay, I, I don't care anymore because it's so hard. Paul knew all too well of the emotional and physical fears that come upon people. And, and sometimes you just abandon ship. You just abandon ship. I wonder if we're staying steadfast in our faith. You know, curveballs are thrown to you all the time. When I was in baseball, my dad always told me, sit on the fastball. Expect a fastball because you can always adjust when a curveball comes in. In life, we know a curveball is going to come in. We know there's going to be havoc. There's going to be people who, who are causing us trouble. What are people saying or doing in your life that's causing you not to focus on Jesus Christ? I want to... There's distractions all the time, right? Kids are doing great things. Kids are having fun. Your grandkids are doing things. Your nephews, your nieces. In this congregation, uh, whether it's people losing jobs, uh, family having things stolen from them, figuring out what you're doing about your house, dealing with death, curveballs are thrown at us all the time. But are you standing strong in your faith? And that's exactly what we're trying to do. Because God has a huge plan. He has a huge plan for you. He has a huge plan literally for each one of you who love Jesus Christ on how you can serve him the best. He has a plan for this church. How as a group we can come together and we could serve whether it's this community or this world in great ways. And Paul's quick to remind them that their affliction was also their fate. Their affliction was their fate. Paul says in the last part of verse 3, and then in verse 4, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it comes to pass, and just as you know. Paul wisely uses... The simple word, we, in this. We. He, he wanted to make sure. Remember, I, I think I explained it last week, that Paul knows about affliction. He knows about suffering. He went through a lot of suffering himself. And, and, and he knew that, that if he was suffering because he was preaching God's word, he could deduct that the Thessalonian people would suffer if they were preaching God's word. And, and, and he was right, because they were. 
But why does God want us to be afflicted? Thought about that. Why, why is this destined? Why, why would God allow this? I think there's three, three specific reasons. First, I think that allows believers to participate in the suffering of Christ. It allows us to participate in it. Jesus Christ, he was beat. And he went to the cross. He was crucified. In horrendous ways, he was, he was harmed. And Jesus didn't deserve that. And you know, when affliction comes in our lives, when, when, when havoc is, is wreaked in our lives, when persecution comes our way, mentally or physically, emotionally, spiritually, all of a sudden, we start thinking about Jesus. And, and, and we become participants in, in his suffering. And we start understanding it and empathizing with our Savior even more. Second, it teaches us obedience. It teaches us obedience. It, it sure is easy. If you get up and go to work, and when you get to work and your boss is whistling and patting you on the back, saying, oh, great job. You're 10 minutes late and he's still patting you on the back. And you're having a great time and your coworkers, you're, you're laughing all the time and, and everything is great. You got long, they, they extend your contract to 10 years. Ah, oh, we'll give you a 10-year contract, guaranteed. And you're really excited about everything. That's pretty easy to go to work. What about the flip side? You're going into work, and your boss is mad at you. Your coworker, he literally is being a jerk every single day just because he's crabby. You can't, you feel like you're, you, you can't support the people that you're supposed to be serving. And now, you were just told that you got 12-hour shifts in the grossest part of the shop to clean up for the next five days. All of a sudden, what are you thinking about? Quitting. You're thinking about quitting. What about sports? If you're on a, if you're on a team that's winning all the time and you're, you're, you've got people giving you high fives and they're smiling, man, that's easy. It, it's fun. But if you're on the flip side, if you're on the losing team all the time, I could speak to this directly. I went to Newark High School. The Newark High School soccer team lost 82 games in a row. My brother was one year older than me. He lost every single game in his four-year career at Newark High School. We won nine games my senior year, thank the Lord. We did not have anyone at our games. No press was there, getting extra news for their paper. You know, there were sometimes our parents didn't even go to the games. There was a gentleman over in Waterman who scored 11 goals against us in one game. 
11 in one game. One guy. He was in Sports Illustrated. So we got in, we got in some news. <laughs> it wasn't easy. I went to every practice, every game, and I stayed positive because I, apparently I was a kid and had no idea. I just wanted to keep going. On the flip side, our basketball program was phenomenal. Easy to go to that. We had a great time. Reporters talking to us all the time. All the referees knew us. We were well-liked. Should I have just quit the soccer? One, one way is easy. The other way is hard. And I'll tell you what, when affliction comes in your life, you, you, you have to learn obedience, to stick it, stick with it, to keep going. Because we know that afflictions are going to come. We have to understand that we are going to have havoc in our lives. That there are going to be things that come in, and we have to make a decision before it happens of what we're going to do. I knew going into my junior year of high school, we were going to lose every soccer game. Okay, I didn't know that. I wanted to believe we were going to win. But I stuck it out, and I kept going. And I kept fighting, kept believing. And that was just sports. When we're talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we can't compare anything in this world to that. Third, it gives, us you, gives you a hunger for heaven. It gives you a hunger for heaven. So, so the first one was that it allows us to believe or, or to participate in the suffering of Christ. Second one, it teaches us what obedience is. And third, it gives you a hunger for heaven. When, when someone feels like everything's going great, when everything's going grand, you, you've got a good job, your kids are doing well, no one's really sick, you haven't had death in your life, everything's going well, you're, you're going out with friends to the movies, uh, you're, you're, you're enjoying life. Guess what? You're not thinking about heaven, necessarily. I even had this discussion at a round table, kind of, with a group of pastors. And one of the pastors there said, no, I'm, I'm good. I, I, can, I don't want to go to heaven yet. He wasn't saying that in a negative way. That was just how, what he believed. He, he said, oh, I, I, I've got more things here to do. And there's other people who have a different perspective they have a different perspective they're focused on please i want to go to heaven i want to be with you god directly in your presence it's interesting i wonder where you want to be and some of that's caused by affliction i told you about my friend busy in ethiopia Busy lived in the garbage dump, the city dump. So imagine Chicago, if they had a city dump where they dumped all the garbage and then, then didn't cover it with ground and stuff. They didn't have an EPA. So they just literally dump out from these huge trucks any garbage, any, anything of anything. That's where Busy lived for over seven years, from the time he was 16 years old. Do we have any 16-year-olds in here? How old are you? 
16. So it'd be like you going out in, and living in a dump. And that was your entire day. Day in and day out. And Busy lived there. And, and he would get his food from the garbage. And he would eat things that he wasn't sure what they were. And Busy would go into the middle of the dump at night and he'd cover himself with garbage, hoping and praying that the wild dogs would not tear him apart. Busy said, he told us when we were, the last time I was in Ethiopia, this past July, August, he said every single morning he begged God to take him to heaven. He begged God to take him to heaven every single day. And then as he was sitting there, as he was praying, asking God to take him to heaven because of the afflictions that were in his life, he goes, then I just dust off myself and I get up. I say, well, apparently not yet. And he would go serve God by preaching the gospel in the dump. You see, when you have a different life situation, when affliction starts hitting you, and sometimes maybe it's as we get older, you start focusing more on heaven. And you understand that that's a great focus. To be focused on what God has for us. Finally, God is warning us. God is warning us about the dangers. And there are many dangers that, we, that the, a believer faces on a daily basis. And Paul knew them. He knew that the Thessalonians were going to be facing all kinds of dangers. And this was crucial that they were aware of. He said in verse 5, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. You see, Paul was concerned about the faith of the Thessalonians. And remember I said earlier, he was rushed out of there quickly, in the middle of the night, we, we assume. And, and so he didn't know all about what was going on? How were they responding? Were they studying the scriptures? Were, were, they, were they preaching the word? Were they getting beat? Were people falling away from the church? And Paul knew that evaluating their faith was absolutely crucial. And so he sent Timothy to do just that. And I think we too. I think we need to be vigilant in evaluating our faith. We need to self-examine what we're doing on a regular basis for our commitment to Jesus Christ. We need to be thinking about that. You know, I, some of you probably, you spend a lot of time reading God's word. I bet you spend a lot of time on your knees begging the Holy Spirit to teach you through your reading. And, and you're studying it. And you're wanting to know Jesus more. And I bet some of you haven't opened a Bible in a long time. I bet some of you may not hear any of God's word except for on Sunday when you come. We have a significant amount of work to do. And our work and service and the growth of Jesus Christ, it never ends. 
And that's why we have to keep evaluating. Henry Ford. You guys know the name Henry Ford. Probably one of the, mo one of the most recognizable names ever in history. In 1910, he opened his first assembly plant in Highland Park, Michigan. And at a, at a baseline, the, the, the process to make a, sing, to make a single part, uh, what was it, the flywheel magneto, it would take 20 minutes for an employee to make that one part. And so Henry Ford decided in 1910, he's got to figure out a better way. And so he took that, that one job and he split it into 29 parts. And he said, I think we could do it faster if we split it into parts. They were each, each task, all 29, to a different person. And they initially, they moved that 20 minutes down to 13 minutes. And they saw this could be good. So they continued to evaluate. They continued to look at their process. Soon, after fine-tuning some things, they moved it all the way down to five minutes that they can get that flywheel magneto put together. And so he kept rolling it out to the next component. On October 7, 1913, final assembly line was built at Highland Park, Michigan. They used a, a rope and a windlass, and it pulled the Model T chassis down a 150-foot line straight as an arrow. They had 140 workers on that 150 feet. And they were grabbing parts from nearby bins, and they were, uh, they were all putting their parts together, and, and they were trying to change the production. It took 12 hours and 30 minutes to build one single car. And eventually, soon after that, they got it down to five hours and 50 minutes. And so then they, they thought, ooh, what if we could move the chain even quicker? They kept evaluating, kept looking at it, and they, and they moved, got more of an automated chain that would move the thing a little bit faster. Finally, in 1914, so just under a year after they really opened up this fine-tuned assembly, they got one Model T every 93 minutes. From 12 hours plus down to an hour and a half. What if Henry Ford wouldn't have spent time evaluating what he was doing? That would have changed the face of, of all businesses, let alone the car business. What about you? What about evaluating your faith? You see why it's so important? Because evaluating a business, a car, fixing a car, making a car, making a tractor, making whatever we're making on assembly lines, that took a lot of time in a boardroom evaluating. Are you sitting down evaluating where you are in your faith? Where you are in your spiritual growth? Where you are in your, your ministry as an ambassador? Because if you are, all of a sudden, guess what? You're going to grow. You're going to fine-tune things in your life that you never thought could be possible. You're going to be able to do things 
uh, for the Lord that you couldn't even imagine. Finally, just like the Thessalonians, we must be vigilant in defending against our foe. Against our foe. Paul writes in the last verse for today, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. We all have a common enemy. All believers have a common enemy. And his name is Satan. Scripture teaches us that we are to be sober-minded, be watchful. For our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You see, the devil is our greatest foe. He was the greatest foe of Adam and Eve. He was Paul's greatest foe. He was the Thessalonians' greatest foe, and he's our greatest foe, and he's real. He's not some made-up character. Jesus told us about him. Scripture teaches us about him. Satan is real. And you know what? He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy my relationship with my wife. He wants to destroy my relationship with the church. He wants to destroy your relationship with your aunt and uncle, with your brothers, with your kids. He wants to cause you to be distracted in some little way just to move you off that arrow. I, I always thought in my head that what Satan wanted to do was he wanted us to look completely the other direction. And then I realized, no, if North is, is focusing on God, he just wants us just slightly off. He wants us to look like people who love Jesus, look like people who are following Jesus, but he wants us slightly off because then that will help bring other people down. He wants to confuse us. He wants to challenge us. And he wants to basically just cause havoc in our lives. Because Satan, he's crafty. And he, he, he tries to sneak his way into just about everything. Remember, he even tried to tempt Jesus. We must remain strong. And we have to know that our foe is coming. If I were to tell you that tonight, Schatzbergers, tonight someone is coming to your home and they're breaking in and they're going to steal everything. If I told you that, that someone was coming to your home tonight to break in, you would take precautions. You would lock your door. You may call in reinforcements. Some of you may even get your weapons prepared. I'm telling you today that the enemy is coming for you. You need to take precautions. You need to be ready for him. You need, you need to prepare yourselves. The theme of this series is ready. Are you ready? Are you ready to move forward in your faith? Are you ready to accept the challenges and the afflictions that are in your future? Are you ready to stand strong in your faith because you're grounded in God's word? Are you ready to truly take a look at your faith and evaluate it? Truly evaluate it. Really understanding of 
where you're at with the Lord. Are you ready to prepare for the, the person who's going to attack you? You know what? As I was writing this, I thought, I'm not ready. I'm not fully ready. I don't know if, we always, if any of us can be fully ready. But I want to prepare. I want to understand these things. I want to know it here, move it here, and then create some action. You know, I, I may, may take some baby steps, but it's progress. It's moving forward. You guys, you guys are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You have mission work right in your home. Right with the people that you come in contact with. So be the ambassadors. D don't, don't focus on other things. Focus on your primary job, and that's sharing God's word. Sharing your love because God loves you. Be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And let everyone know about it. You can do that in many, many, many different ways. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful for you. We're thankful that you have taught us so much through your word. You have taught us through the people that you have called to yourself. You've taught us how to serve you and worship you uh, with genuine hearts. I pray that you can teach us uh, to be ready to serve you as true ambassadors. Help us to evaluate where we are with you, knowing that your love is the same always, but our love for you can grow. So will you help us? Will you help us love you more today? Will you help us love you more tomorrow as well? We are so thankful for your sacrifice, Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that you went to the cross. We're so thankful that you were resurrected to give us life, to give us that hope. And we give you all the praise, all the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.